Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So do you think, like, we're still going to be mates? I think so, yeah. I think we will as well. I think so. If you want my email now, I'll still give you later. <laughs> Hi, I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to I Feel I Am I. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today in internet culture, uh, Rachel, someone is pretending to be me on Instagram. Oh my god. I have to say, I think this is a compliment, but please tell me what's going on. (laughs) I made it. I finally arrived. So it all begins when I get a DM from a person who does not follow me. So suspect, but uh, he, he appears to be a good actor and says, hey... This account is using all of your photos to impersonate you. Hopefully your friends can report it and get it taken down. Being impersonated isn't fun. Have a great day. I want to know more about this random person who isn't following you, who found out that (laughs) this random Instagram account was impersonating you. Like, who, who is he? Does he just go around alerting people? Is he just some, like, cape crusader of impersonating Instagram accounts? Critically, this account didn't use my name, which means he recognized my face. And sure enough, he was correct, because I go over to the account at Sadie Flota 751, Sadie <laughs> underscore Flota 751, and, uh, oh yeah, it's just all of my photos... Honestly, okay, so I've taken a look at this account because you not only tweeted about this, but put it on Instagram, imploring all of us to report this account, which I did. But I have to say, Sadie's grid is gorgeous, which is really only a reflection of how well curated your Instagram is. Like, I don't think anyone could do a, a lifestyle version of my Instagram feed. And yet here you are. I asked all of my friends to report this account, which they did. I will note that the account itself is based in Salt Lake City, which feels a little, um, yeah. If you know, you know. If you listen to this show and you know that TikTok thinks I'm a former Mormon. Oh my God. Does this person, does Sadie, is Sadie a fan? (laughs) Is Sadie a stan? (laughs) So Sadie's definitely not a real person. I reported this to Instagram and the automated response I got was, this is fine, it can stay. Sadie's real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I then tried to DM Sadie, got the block immediately. Of course. And I think enough of my friends reported the account that it's still up. But now when you go, it is all photos of a new dude. <gasps> what? Yes. So I don't know who he is. If you go to this account now and you recognize this man, it's time for you to send the DM. <laughs> Oh my that God. I received. What if the Cape Crusader had in fact been impersonated by Sadie before and then got them blocked and then Sadie started over again with you and now every single time Sadie starts over, this guy is finding the person who she's impersonating. Or the Cape Crusader and the impersonator are one and the same. Who can say for certain? Oh my God. The twists, the turns this is taking. Anyway, long story short, I'm no longer being impersonated on Instagram, but not by any uh, 
help of Instagrams, it would appear. (laughs) And that makes sense. You know what else makes sense, though? What we're talking about on the show today. Rachel's dreams are coming true. We are about to get into a deeply researched text about none other than One Direction. Yes, here I am, a former One Direction stan. It's for life. It's for life, Rachel. It's forever. Yeah, in the same way that growing up in a religious institution is forever. (laughs) (laughs) On the show today, we have Atlantic staff writer Caitlin Tiffany joining us to talk about her new book, Everything I Need, I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet as We Know It. And boy, do we know it. This book is simply incredible. I am so excited for this conversation with Caitlin. And we will be right back with her after the break to discuss One Direction, Tumblr, and Larry Stylinson. If you don't know what that is, get ready to find out. not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, and we are back with Caitlin Tiffany, staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of Everything I Need I Get From You. Caitlin, welcome. Hello. We're so excited to have you here. I'm going to speak for myself and say I'm very excited to have you here because I uh, was a One Direction fangirl in a past life. So I have so many questions. I loved your book. It was incredible. Uh, Rachel, that's this life. You're still living the life where you're a mega fan. I reserve the right to not say anything, but this is about Caitlin. (laughs) The biggest mega fan in the room. So obviously Caitlin is here today because you have written this fantastic new book all about fandom, Uh, but we would like to begin where we always begin, the beginning, your Joker origin story. When, When was the moment that One Direction ruined your life? I guess I became a One Direction fan in college, which some might say is like an unexpected time to encounter your first boy band fandom. But I had younger sisters, so we went to the movies to see the This Is Us documentary, which came out in 2013. That's the 2013 One Direction documentary, This Is Us, not the TV show that makes you cry. I had so much fun, especially there's a scene in that documentary where the One Direction boys are going camping and it's like deliberately produced like, haha, isn't it funny? They're so cute and stupid. They don't know how to set up a tent. And then they're all kind of like sitting around like shooting the shit uh, over the bonfire. And Louis Tomlinson is like, do you know what? It'd just be amazing to be remembered. Like even like as a mom turned a daughter, the boy band at my time, One Direction, they just they just had fun. You know what I mean? They were just, they're just normal guys, but terrible, terrible dancers. <laughs> That's so beautiful for a 21-year-old boy to be like, I hope 
the like legacy of my <laughs> like time on earth is like a mom talking to her daughter about how fun I was. I just thought that was really charming. And then I was kind of like in it. Why do you think One Direction as opposed to someone like Bieber, who in the book I kind of thought of as like One Direction's tethered? Um, <laughs> or even like Marvel super fans? Why do you think One Direction is such a kind of useful and clear distillation of modern fan culture? So first of all, I mean, it was like a choice of convenience because like Tumblr is famously crumbling. So for one thing, it was just easier to pick something that I could like remember and kind of like navigate my way through the dark to find things that I knew were there. The other thing is I feel like One Direction, even more so than Bieber fans, like One Direction fans had this relationship to the band where they felt very sincerely that they were the ones that had selected One Direction and made them famous because they lost the X Factor. <laughs> and then, the you know, the mantra of the fandom became like, they lost the X Factor and won the world. Like the fans just kind of like decided to like take over Twitter and like promote them all the time. They were really good at the sort of like behind the scenes chit chat with fans at a time where like not that many celebrities had started experimenting with that, or at least not on the level of doing like eight hour live streams. That would be more like a uh, like Tumblr performance art project than it would be <laughs> something for a pop star to do. And it was just the timing was so perfect of like this band materializing like right when teenagers were first signing up for Twitter um, and Tumblr was sort of like reaching its peak of cultural relevance. So it was just like a, I think like a, like a rich moment to talk about. And also like, I would have rather do almost anything besides write a book about Marvel fandom. <laughs> so. Glad we've established this. Apologies to the Marvel fans in our audience. Fandoms online are incredibly powerful. I also uh, live in fear of them. So I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> what in the book were you most nervous about the fandom taking issue with? Oh, well, that's really easy. I think I've come to, to peace with it, that some people are going to be upset by the section about the Larry Stylins and conspiracy theory, which I'm sure you guys are both familiar with as mm -hmm. people of the internet. It was pretty unavoidable there for a while. Uh, kind of you to assume, but for those of us who maybe don't know, Rachel, help. Larry Stylinson is the long-running fan theory that Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson are in some kind of relationship. At its most extreme, it says they've been married since at least, like, 2016. It was really hard to think about how to write about that, I think, just because, like, partly because a lot of people outside of fandom already knew about it, and there was already this kind of voyeuristic, like, popcorn-eating fun and being like look at these mm. people, like, why do they believe this crazy thing that's obviously untrue? And I didn't want to indulge that too much, and I also didn't want to be too, like, judgmental and, like, you know, drawing these lines that are, like, the way I practice fandom is good and the way these mm. people practice fandom is bad. Um, but I wanted to make sure that people understood how, like, sad that whole thing ultimately was because of the way that it divided the fandom and because of the like hateful things a lot of people said especially because so, so many of them were so young and like later a lot of people I spoke to um who are now like adults feel a lot of regret about like having been 16 and participated in something like that so I tried to 
focus on that element of it, like what it meant for the fandom that it was could be torn apart by this conspiracy theory that seemed to kind of come out of nowhere or seemed to be even maybe even worse than coming out of nowhere. It was sort of like a mutation of fan fiction in a way that is really unfortunate because like there's for a long time been taboos uh, mm. about using real people in fan fiction. And the defense is always, you know, uh, these are clearly fictional stories. Like we're engaging with the like iconography of pop culture figures and like, you know, deploying them in different ways to make art. And then for people to sort of like run off with the tropes of fan fiction and turn them into an actual conspiracy theory, I think was like really hurtful for a lot of people. So I tried to focus on that, I do think there will obviously be people who read that section and like are upset about it either way or won't read it and just will know that it's there and be upset about that fact in itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 There's two chapters in your book about the Larry Silence and Conspiracy, which at its most extreme posits that any woman that Harry or Louis is seen with is just a craven industry plant. You write, Larry shippers usually claim to be progressive feminists and insist that even their most personal criticisms of the women at the center of their theories is not misogynistic. They counter that it would be misogynistic not to call these women out on their many misdeeds. And that just reminded me a lot of the rhetoric we've seen over the past month and a half from Johnny Depp supporters. And I'm wondering if you saw any similarities between the Larry Stiles and conspiracy theory and the maelstrom around the Depp v. Heard trial. I actually did. I did write something for The Atlantic about the Amber Heard sort of like conspiracy thinking and comparing it to the way that people talked about Louis Tomlinson's ex-girlfriend that he had the baby with, um, you know, the one who was the subject of Babygate and was supposedly a doll. And then once it became clear it was not a doll, was then supposedly an actor or like someone else's child, not really his child. There's another pretty well-known fandom conspiracy theory in the Benedict Cumberbatch fandom, you know, arguing that his wife is like the head of some kind of international crime ring and has faked all of her pregnancies. But yeah, they do all have the same tone. That's kind of like, you know, the media is probably complicit in this because the media is like, like, related to Hollywood and the entertainment industry in some way. And the only people who can see these women for what they truly are is us, the fans. And it's like kind of proving that women have like investigatory powers, but also that they are like the true progressives because they're willing to call other women out. And it's usually tied into some other kind of progressive social cause too. So like with Larry Stylinson, obviously another argument that that people would make was if you don't believe this theory, then, or if you resist the promotion of this theory, it's because you're homophobic. Or with Amber Heard, a lot of people were saying, you know, not only am I not misogynist, not only am I not trying to take down Me Too, I'm actually like furthering Me Too and making it more egalitarian because I'm drawing attention to the plight of like male abuse victims. So I feel like that's a pretty common like tactic in these conspiracy theories that are born out of fandom and I don't totally know how to explain that other than that I think they tend to where most of the work is done to elaborate on them uh is on tumblr which just kind of has a a culture and like history of of like claiming moral superiority by like tacking yourself on to xyz progressive cause but yeah it's very complex 
Something we talk about a lot on this show is how hard it can be to accurately trace back the origin points of an internet thing. And that's something that's so satisfying about this book is that you do it so well. You know, you trace things back like Stan Wars and, you know, the phrase run me over with a car, which frankly I've long associated with um, lesbians and Rachel Weiss, but it's really a One Direction fandom thing. How did you go about pinpointing those inception points? Yeah, it was... A combination of like reading old studies of fandom, which is how I learned about kind of like the origins of fanfic and the different platforms that fans use for it that I like never would have had any occasion to be on because I'm a young millennial. But like some some other memes, I feel like, again, that's kind of just like the benefit of like picking a fandom that I personally participated in because I would just have the benefit of remembering or um or like knowing who to ask like there are tumblers dedicated basically entirely to just like archiving every meme that ever came out of the one direction fandom and you can you can truly just like wander through the ask box and be like wasn't there like something about like how Liam doesn't use spoons and they would just like pull up like (laughs) like a dozen posts for you or like even like archived links to posts that had been deleted which was super cool I was there was definitely a lot of times where I was really frustrated and was like how am I ever going to find anything I need I will say reading this book brought me back so keenly to a specific time and place in my life I was just thinking like reading these conspiracy theories like wow I did used to think that Ben Winston who directed a lot of One Direction videos was secretly racist because he didn't show Zayn's face doing the high note in the music video you and I and this oh. came back to me fully formed. And I... <laughs> I've never had, heard that before. That is taking up so much space in your brain. It was taking up a really small amount and then came to the forefront. But this is all to kind of preface a question of, that was just me reading the book and you spent years on this. What was your kind of like mind state as you were doing this? Like, what did it bring you back to? Oh, well, I mean, I was writing it during the like first year of the pandemic. So my mind state was... trails off I don't know I mean it was really fun I like I don't have any personally negative memories of fandom Mm. um it was a pretty like a great experience for me I guess like the only thing that was weird was kind of like being back in that place again where you feel like there's a little bit of a mismatch between what you're doing privately and what your like Mm -hmm. friends or colleagues are gonna want to hear about like I like going back through all this stuff I'm like oh I'm you know I'm gonna tweet about this this One Direction meme this is so funny people are gonna love this and then it just like lands with a thud and it's like two faves (laughs) from the a couple of the Harry Styles fans Mm -hmm. I followed for the book so yeah I guess I did feel like at a time when people were already feeling very isolated I did feel like I was regressing and like a little bit more isolated because of that but at the same time I also talked about in the book like um the 10 year anniversary of one direction was um july 2020 and it was weirdly so exciting people were talking about it on my twitter feed all day like tumblr like tumblers that hadn't posted in months or years were like posting again and just like bringing up all their weird memories of 1d um i was like moved to go like double mask to the store and like get birthday cake ingredients and like make a cake for one direction and then just like sit in my house like watching music videos and eating cake absolute chefs 
kiss. There's just this all-consuming quality to fandom that is so like deeply fun at its best. Like you feel kind of like you're in the undertow and you're just going along with the flow and surfacing when everyone else is not involved in it can be so disorienting, but also like, I know something you don't. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> yeah. so fun. <laughs> it, and it makes like, I I feel like regular days on the internet, like can kind of break up the monotony in the same way that like holidays or like snow days do you know you're just like oh a music video dropped during lunch Mm -hmm. like i'm Mm -hmm. gonna watch this at work four (laughs) times (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna take a quick uh snow day if you will from this conversation but we'll be back after a short break When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, I see why my guys. If you love our podcast, then consider subscribing to Slate Plus. It means you'll get no ads on this show or any other Slate podcast. And it'll mean you're supporting us. I see why I would not be possible without your support. And Slate Plus really helps us keep this wild and wonderful and wacky show going. You'll get bonus segments or extra episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and The Waves, plus unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means access to every article and every advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we are back with Caitlin Tiffany, who wrote an amazing book about One Direction fandom. I'm having an absolute delight. Madison is observing me having an absolute (laughs) delight. (laughs) Which is delightful for me. Um, So in the book, you mentioned something that I found like really interesting and also really resonant. And I want you to explain to me why I found it resonant. So you mentioned that you'd never want to meet Harry Styles and that you, in fact, avoided the opportunity when presented with it. And I don't think that's uncommon for fans at all. I I turned down One Direction tickets at one point. I was just like, no. <laughs> Why do you think it is that people, me, you, might want to spend hours, like days, months, thinking about what this person might signify, but never actually really want to interact with them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess probably part of it is just like, 
my general like anxiety about interacting with anyone. But more so than that, I guess I think like Harry Styles and One Direction has occupied such a specific space in my mind for so long that then like turning it into a real world interaction with a person would be like almost a reduction of that. Um, or I wouldn't be able to like adequately explain myself to Harry Styles in the span of whatever like limited interaction we would have. So it would almost be like painful, I think, to just be like, I'm a fan of One Direction. I'm like writing a book about One Direction fans, like rooting for you, not loving the solo work, but rooting for you. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It just like, I just can't imagine it being something I would look back on and be like, wow, that was, that was like really affirming and fun. Mm. <laughs> okay. So I'll take one for the team here and I will meet Harry Styles. You okay. Torn up to it. I clearly can't even see him from hundreds of thousands of feet away. That's really next level. Do you regret that? Sometimes, but also part of it, this kind of goes back to your book. At the time, I didn't know any other One Direction fans of color. And so I felt like I would be in a space that wasn't very affirming for me, kind of in the same way that seeing Harry Styles wouldn't quite affirm how much he meant to you and I didn't really want that to interfere with how much like I love this band yeah that totally makes sense I feel like a lot of fans brought up that same experience of just like or um even like with Harry Styles solo shows there was like Mm -hmm. um sort of discussion of like love on tour there was like the watermelon pit and the cherry pit and like all Mm -hmm. of the mean like like white girl Harry's where it wanted to be in the cherry pit and for like racial reasons it was like really messed up fandom is really messed up in that way actually it is it is it can definitely I mean it just kind of refracts all the larger dynamics of society in a very kind of fascinating way but moving on to something lighter what is your definitive ranking of the members of One Direction well, Niall is my favorite. I'm a Niall girl. I actually really Ooh. am. <laughs> he's so sweet. I think he's like, he, in his solo career, he's just like kind of kept working with the same people that he worked with on the One Direction albums. And it's just like still making One Direction albums. But but like also pushing himself. I think the the music is like thematically more complex and more adult. And his singing voice is getting better. I love him. He's so charming. And then... Second, I guess, would be Harry, because he's a good time. He's really fun to see live, is a good celebrity. After that, I feel like it becomes quite challenging. Um. (laughs) (laughs) That does, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's pretty true for One Direction, is everyone's pretty sure about their top two, and then the bottom three kind of just... Yeah. Kaylin, I'm curious if there's something you hope people come away from this book having their opinions changed about when it comes to fandom. What sticks out to you? I guess, like, what I really hope people come away from the book with is, like, more of a ambivalence or, like, curiosity about fandom because I feel like the opinions on fan culture tend to, like, swing pretty wildly between, like, two poles, one being, like, fans are hysterical, they're delusional, they're um, out of control, they're like silly and embarrassing and bad. And then the other, which I think we've started to see a little bit more in the last few years because of like various cultural tides of girl power or (laughs) poptimism type rhetoric is like, 
you know, fans are so enlightened and they're going to save the world. And like fandom is this like, uh, incredible force for, you know, societal good. And I don't think like either one of those understandings is particularly helpful. And it would be great if people started to like, I don't know, look more closely at the fandoms that they're talking about and the motivations of those fandoms and also the sort of the consequences of their actions. Yeah, I guess I feel like in talking about this, I sound kind of like doom and gloom. Like I'm not trying to say like, fandom is so sinister, you better look closer. But like, kind of. Like if you have like millions of young people who have spent the last, like their formative years, like understanding like, the way to use the internet is media manipulation. Mm. Um, Like that is going to have consequences, both good and bad. Uh, You've landed in a place we here on ICYMI like to refer to as the Valley of Nuance. It's nice. (laughs) Grassy. (laughs) Wow, that's great. Well, I could talk about One Direction all day. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so fun. Once again, that was Caitlin Tiffany, the author of Everything I Need I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet As We Know It. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, the best way to find out which fandoms I was previously a part of. No, I have not disclosed all of them. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like... What the fuck is Larry Stylinson? And you can always drop us a note at icymi at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Rachel Hampton, and me, Madison Malone Kircher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of Slate Audio. See you online. Or at a Harry Styles concert. Oh, shit, guys, I'm sorry. I forgot my AC is on shuffle mode or whatever. <laughs> shuffle, shuffle mode. I've never heard of that. What is iPod setting Nano? <laughs> Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.